Today's Hebrew scripture reading is Genesis chapter 27, verses 1 through 29. This is the ancient story of the twin brothers Jacob and Esau and their parents Rebekah and Isaac, and how Jacob, the younger of the twins, stole the blessing that was the birthright of his brother. It's important to remember that in the ancient world, when a father died, the entire family estate went to the eldest child. We will be reading from The Message, Eugene Peterson's translation of the Bible. When Isaac had become an old man and was nearly blind, he called his eldest son, Esau, and said, My son. Yes, father? I'm an old man, he said. I might die any day now. Do me a favor. Get your quiver of arrows and your bow and go out in the country and hunt me some game. Then fix me a hearty meal, the kind that you know I like, and bring it to me to eat so that I can give you my personal blessing before I die. Rebekah was eavesdropping as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. As soon as Esau had gone off to the country to hunt game for his father, Rebekah spoke to her son Jacob. I just overheard your father talking with your brother Esau. He said, bring me some game and fix me a hearty meal so that I can eat and bless you with God's blessing before I die. Now, my son, listen to me. Do what I tell you. Go to the flock and get me two young goats. Pick the best. I'll prepare them into a hearty meal, the kind your father loves. Then you'll take it to your father. He'll eat it and bless you before he dies. But mother, Jacob said, my brother is a hairy man and I have smooth skin. What happens if my father touches me? He'll think I'm playing a game with him. I'll bring down a curse on myself instead of a blessing. If it comes to that, said his mother, I'll take the curse on myself. Now just do what I say. Go and get the goats. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother, and she cooked a hearty meal, the kind his father loved so much. Rebecca took the dress-up clothes off her older son Esau and put them on her younger son Jacob. She took the goat skins and covered his hands and the smooth nape of Jacob's neck. Then she placed the hearty meal and fresh bread she prepared into the hands of her son Jacob. Jacob went to his father and said, My father. Yes, Isaac said. Which son are you? Jacob answered his father, I am your firstborn son, Esau. I did what you told me. Come now, sit up and eat, eat of my game, so you can give me your personal blessing. So soon? How did you get it so quickly? Because your God cleared the way for me. Isaac said, Come close, son. Let me touch you. Are you really my son Esau? So Jacob moved close to his father Isaac. Isaac felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He didn't recognize that it was Jacob because the hands were hairy, like his brother Esau's. But as he was about to bless him, he pressed him. You're sure. You are my son Esau. Yes, I am. Isaac said, Bring the food so I can eat of my son's game and give you my personal blessing. Jacob brought it to him, and he ate. He also brought him wine, and he drank. Then Isaac said, Come close, son, and kiss me. Jacob came close and kissed him, and Isaac smelled the smell of his clothes. Finally, he blessed him. Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of the open country blessed by God. May God give you of heaven's dew and earth's bounty of grain and wine. May people serve you and nations honor you. You will master your brothers and your mother's sons will honor you. Those who curse you will be cursed and those who bless you will be blessed. And then right after Isaac had blessed Jacob and Jacob had left, Esau showed up from the hunt. 
he had also prepared a hearty meal. He came to his father and said, Let my father get up and eat of his son's game, that he may give me his personal blessing. His father Isaac said, And who are you? I am your firstborn son, Esau. Isaac started to tremble, shaking violently. He said, Then who hunted game and brought it to me? I finished the meal just now before you walked in, and I blessed him. He's blessed for good. Esau, hearing his father's words, sobbed violently and most bitterly and cried to his father, My father, can't you also bless me? Your brother, Isaac said, came here falsely and took your blessing. Esau said, Not for nothing was he named Jacob the heel. Twice now he's tricked me. First he took my birthright, promising he'd give lentil soup for it when, it was, when I was absolutely famished. And now he's taken my blessing. Esau begged, Haven't you kept any blessing for me? Isaac answered Esau, I've made him your master, and all his brothers his servants, and lavished grain and wine on him. I've given it all away. You know, we want our stories from the Old Testament, actually from any of the Bible, to be strong and inspiring, to claim a, a powerful God that, you know, a story where we can see truth in it and say, yes, I recognize that. Well, wait for it. Holy God, you have given us your word. You've given us imaginations. Oh, Lord, help us as we hear your word proclaimed to hear what it is you would have for each one of us today. In Jesus' name and to his glory, amen. So you have just heard the story of how Jacob gets away with his second heist. He has been plotting this opportunity almost since his birth, and his Life's aspirations were fulfilled in a moment. He successfully has swindled his brother Esau out of his inheritance. And in the meantime, and more importantly for, that, for us, he has ingratiated himself into the line of God's holy patriarchs, not by birth, but by deceit. I want you to remember that Jesus' mortal genealogy begins with Abraham Abraham, the one to whom God promised land on which a great nation would be built, a great nation through whom all the families of earth would be blessed. Well, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of our cheater, Jacob. And then Jacob was the father of Judah, and so on, all the way down to David and then to Jesus. Well, at once we don't like Jacob, and you wouldn't trust him for anything that required uh, an essential quality of character, like running your business when you're gone or marrying your daughter. He is a bit of a sleaze. And had any of us been given the job of writing the book of Genesis, we might have thought twice about telling the story and all of its grimy details. But the narrator seems to take almost uh, some delight in telling this story that is going to be, you know, aired for centuries for all future generations to hear. Well, I think we'd agree in today's terms that this is a fairly dysfunctional group, right? The story reads like a soap opera um, with this cast of odd characters. And so let me review them for you just quickly. First, there's Esau the elder brother. Now, earlier in the Genesis story, as Jane perfectly told it, 
uh, Esau has, for the rumbling of his stomach, given up his entire inheritance to Jacob. Well, for that bowl of soup. And then he gets involved in this activity. Esau doesn't appear to be the brightest bulb in the box. Um, And we consider him, when you think of it, is he really fit to be one of God's holy patriarchs? Is he really fit to inherit the the family farm? Well, yeah, we're a little questionable about Esau. And then there's the father. The old man with these two squabbling sons and a conniving wife, old Isaac. There's not much vision or vitality left in him. You know, Isaac was Abraham and Sarah's miracle baby. The whole future of the faith, the future of God's blessing on Israel and your and my inheritance in Jesus Christ rests on this character, Isaac. And here we witness Isaac as spineless, uninspired, and when it comes to giving the blessing, he he really does blow it. He is duped and he is fooled. Well, next in the cast is Rebecca. You know, before the birth of her twin boys, she heard an oracle in the temple say that the younger one would be favored and the older child would serve him. Now, we might want to credit her with advancing God's plan. But in the story we have just heard, she is the ultimate mistress of manipulation. Hearing her husband Isaac's plan to bless Esau, she decides that Yahweh is maybe not to be relied upon to make that oracle come true. And so she takes matters into her own hand, and she runs this fabulous scam on the old man. And then there is Jacob. Jacob is the family superstar. He is gentle. He is educated. According to his father, he's probably something of a wimp because he doesn't like to hunt. Even his name sets him up. Jacob, the one who deceives, the heel grabber. He's a crafty young man with an eye to the future, and I think you would agree with me. He doesn't have much of a moral compass. Remember in the story that his objection to going and fooling his father is not based on the lack of morality. It's that he's afraid he's going to be cursed if he gets caught. And yet, this is the man who is given status as the firstborn and through whom God will raise up Israel. This is a motley cast of characters, and this is our heritage. I think, however, there is, use your imaginations, a fifth character in this play, one whose performance or lack of performance might upset us the most. That is God. Why didn't God do something to see that this was a more just and righteous story if the whole of salvation is going to depend upon it? Injustice is done on a feeble old man to blind and an oaf of a child and brother to dumb to stop him, and God doesn't do a thing. Jacob gets away with the deception. It's theft, actually, and his mother drives the getaway car. It's grimy, it's icky, it's wrong. And this is not our usual script for the divine who we believe honors justice and righteousness. How would we view someone today who was like Isaac, or like Jacob, or like Rebecca, or like Esau? I mean, wouldn't you be calling your lawyer and wanting to sue somebody, or at least calling the police and say, jailing? 
what's going on here? Is it a story on how we should cheat to win and we've gotten it wrong all these years? No. Jacob and Esau will be leaders of great nations. Maybe this explains why those two nations will be at one another for the history. What's going on? How far is God willing to let things go to see that divine ends are met? Well, I think we have to look at the story a little differently to see a truth in it. The fact is that Jacob didn't steal the blessing. He couldn't. You know, one might steal a birthright like he did, which is tantamount, I mean, it's sort of like a piece of paper or a will or a document outlining the inheritance, and it can be executed in court. But a blessing in this case through his father can't be stolen. A blessing is a different thing. The nature of a blessing at this time in history, uh, barakah in Hebrew, is that it is given. It is offered without any merit. It is offered without anyone having earned it or desired it or deserved it. It is offered. Well, the hope is that in receiving a blessing, then one would be so filled at the experience of receiving the blessing that you would then live into it and honor it. And once given, it can't be retracted. So in the end, despite the theatrics, I believe Jacob received the blessing because God wanted him to have it, regardless of who Jacob was at the moment and how he acted. No, I, I do believe that God does not orchestrate every little bit of what goes on in our lives. But I will tell you that I believe the divine is shameless to use those times. And in this case, and in this story, that's good news for us. Now you've heard, you know, as you've sat in church and you've gone to Sunday school and you've done your own devotional work and your Bible studies, you've heard that God wants to use you. And you always wonder, is it really possible that God could use me? I mean, it's not obvious. You ever wondered that despite your frailties, your inadequacies, your insecurities, maybe I don't have enough faith, that God could use you. And that is the scandal of this story. And, and frankly, I kind of like it. Because in it, God links up with people whose reputations are not stellar, My goodness, these poor people have had their story told for generations upon generations. They never catch a break. And we're ready to boo God off the stage for not having acted the way we think God should, as a referee. But yet, in spite of their unworthiness, God does something amazing. This is where you're supposed to say amen. Amen. Really, we've got to work on this before Curtis gets back. This is a message of divine sovereignty, meaning that God can and does do anything God pleases, and he doesn't, and it doesn't have to be according to our script. And nothing can derail God's purposes. You know, today we stand at a distance from this Genesis story. I mean, it's probably three, 4,000 years ago. It happened a long time ago, and these characters, thank you to our readers, these characters almost become cartoon characters to us. Can you see 
um, Jacob wearing uh, skin on his hands and, you know, having his brother's things and his mother, you know, in the kitchen. I mean, it, it really is something. Yet the God who was present when this scene of clattering pots and rumbling stomachs and blindness and backyard masquerades played out is the same God that is right here with us right now with the same purposes, and that is to bring all humanity into loving communion with him. I wish history was clean. I wish it was disciplined. I wish it was, you know, like I might have written this story if it had been up to me. But indeed, we have a God who works in the midst of messiness. And human egos, in the midst of selfishness and self-righteousness, features that most of us can relate to at some point in our lives. Are there any Rebecca's here? Have you ever rationalized your own behavior in the name of helping God, even though you knew in your gut that something about what you were doing didn't feel quite right? You know that that desire to sort of over-control a situation and not trust? (laughs) Have you ever made a dumb mistake like Esau? Have you ever been put on a spot to make a decision where all the choices weren't exactly clear and you decided based on your appetite rather than your common sense? I don't know about you, but I have in my ministry, in my, with my friends, with my family. I'm just grateful that the family farm hasn't depended on it. Um, making dumb mistakes is part of being human. And then consider Jacob. Well, none of us believes that we're like that inner, little interloper. None of us have probably done the kinds of things in our family that Jacob has done. But I want to ask you, who among you likes being second? He certainly wasn't going to give up his good future to this dull and witless brother who was only older than him by a minute. (laughs) And you're thinking, yeah, I'm not like Jacob. Right, you have never probably stood in front of a semi-blind person with, you know, fur gloves on your hands, sweating, hoping that you're not going to be discovered. Yet we can all name a time when we have wanted something so much that we were willing to take advantage of somebody else's casualness or blindness to get our way. Oh, she won't mind if I just fill in the blank. It was to your advantage. God knows as human beings we live messy lives, real lives. And so this is a hopeful tale. Because if we see in history God's care and intent poured out on these folks, on this dysfunctional, unholy family, and consider how God loved them and worked with them, then as we sit here in all of our righteousness and our unrighteousness, whether we are hungry or full, whether we are right on real or phony in a moment, whether we are courageous or spineless, then perhaps God could be at work loving us and working through us too. Now, none of this is an excuse for unloving or immoral behavior. But Genesis 27 gives us a lens through which to see that even when we do succumb to the ways of our egos and our selfishness, 
and our appetites in real life, that, that everything, by God's grace, is not over for us. In the Genesis story, we began by being offended at Jacob, the conniving rat who claimed a birthright that wasn't his and who enjoyed a blessing from his father that he didn't deserve. And we think, that's just not right. I want you to fast forward 3,000 years to 2018. And sitting here today, when you think of it, has the love of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness you know in him, been poured out on you and me because we earned it or we deserved it? Neither that love or that forgiveness is rightfully ours, but is instead pure, unmerited grace granted to us by a creator who is just crazy in love with us and wants us to know it. In truth, in Jesus Christ, you and I lay claim to a birthright and a blessing that we've done nothing to deserve. And in spite of being like Jacob or Esau or Rebekah, the Holy One chooses to make a whole and a deeper life available to us and wants to love us if we will let him. So the invitation from this story right now and every moment is to receive the blessing that is offered, that is still offered to imperfect and unholy people and to trust God's powerful spirit is at work in you. You know, if the God of all creation was about loving and making use of Isaac and Rebecca and Esau and Jacob in all of their incompleteness and their imperfections and their inadequacies and their lack of strength, is it too much to think that God, oops, is it too much to think that God is at work loving even us and perhaps going to use the people of First Baptist Church to bless the world? Too much to ask? I don't think so. In this moment, the best that you can, receive the blessing. Know that you are loved and that God indeed is at work in you. And I say thanks be to God, and you say, Hallelujah.